I'm so excited because today we get to begin week four of a sermon series that we're calling Help Me The And this entire sermon series has everything to do with faith. But really quick, by a round of either applause, hoots and hollers, or hand-waving, has these, have these last three weeks helped anybody in the room? Okay, cool. The reason why we thought that this sermon series was important is because right now, a lot of people are not just losing faith in Christ, but they're losing faith in general. Like, we, you have more trust in faith that when you go to McDonald's that they're not going to poison you than we do in God actually doing and saying what he has to say and that it actually will happen. God himself could come and show himself in front of all of us and say, tomorrow morning, the sky will be purple and we will still have doubt. So we thought that it would be important to take a slow walk through scripture so that each and every person that hears this sermon won't just have a faith boost, but that your faith will be sustained for the rest of your life. Because how many of you know that just because we teach a sermon series one time a month, you probably need that word throughout your entire life. Okay, so our word for the year is what? Postured, which means that we're going to stay in the position that God has placed us because it's absolutely perfect. Somebody say perfect. But it's almost impossible to trust somebody if you don't believe them. So this conversation that we've been having in faith in the last three weeks is so important because God can't do anything in your life if you don't believe him. So your belief that God is is more important than your belief that he can. But we use our energy. That was good to you, I know. Just wait, just wait until I actually start. We'll have faith that God can, but have no faith that God is. And I don't know about you, if you're a parent, wouldn't you rather know that your children trust you as a parent rather than a person that provides? Because I'm not just provider. I am your mother. I, all, all the women in the room said, I'm your mother. You, like, don't, don't do it. Like, don't do your babies. Pastor Joshua said, I'm your mother. Like, don't be doing that. Y'all be taking pastor's words and contorting them, and then they get upset with me 30 years later. You're the reason. I'm... No, that wasn't me. That was your mom. Don't mess it up. But your faith in God is more important than what he can do for you. Your faith in Christ is more important than what he did in the past. Somebody say, trust God. So let's jump into the word. I'm really excited today because I believe that the Holy Spirit has something that's going to not just encourage you, but that it's actually going to sustain you. I believe that today, because of this word, for many of you that might feel empty, for many of you that might be dealing with anxiety and depression, for many of you that might feel like you're down and out, I honestly, I can almost put like my entire being on it. Besides my wife, you know, I'm not gonna put her on the line because I need her. I love you, baby. Uh, But I'm willing to put everything that I have on the line that today's sermon is going to help you realize that regardless of where you are, regardless of how many times you've fallen, regardless of how many times you feel like it didn't work out, God doesn't care. Religion will tell you that God will give up on you. Religion will tell you that at some point in time that God will be like, you know what, I've I've tried with this person multiple times and I'm through. But it's really interesting. Nowhere in the Bible, in the thousands of pages, does Jesus ever call anybody a failure. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever give up on anybody. Jesus gives up on people that give up on themselves. So the worst thing that you can do in your life, I feel the presence of God already. The worst thing that you can do in your life isn't smoke and drink. The worst thing in your life that you could do isn't sin. Like, we make cursing such a big thing. Like, the F-bomb. Like, God's not up in heaven going, like, I'm checking how many times you said the wrong words. But he does have a tally of how many times when he told you to do something, you didn't believe that you had it in you to do it. Write this down. God has faith in me. 
need you to scream and say, God has faith in me. Just as important as it is to trust God, don't you know that God has trust in you? God has trust in all the men that are married that you're going to pass a thousand houses to get home to your wife. This side of the room is cold. God has trust that your job that you have to show up to tomorrow, God has faith in you that you're going to show up on time. God has trust that your babies that are after school, and how many of you guys have after school program for your kids? Uh, raise your hands because you know where I'm going next. How many of you actually pick them up on time? You be having them after school program, people be like, pickup is at 7. Sir, it's 9.45. I have a family too. But God, as much as we can lose faith in God, God can lose faith in us. And it's all based on having faith in yourself. Somebody say, I believe in me. Let's jump right into the word. We're going to do a lot of reading today. I want to stay away from opinion, and I want to stay with the word of God. Is that okay? Because if I give you opinion when I fall, not if, because I'm a man first, right? My name isn't Pastor Joshua. My name is Joshua. So what happens is, is that pastors will say certain things in opinion, and then when they fall, people lose sight of God. So I'm going to take that away because I'm falling even at this moment. The word of God says that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, right? But it also says a couple of stanzas down the road that we all will fall short of the glory of God. So therefore, don't trust what I have to say today. Trust the word. Is that, is that all right? I want you to look at me in skepticism. I want you to look at me as I don't believe him. Because when you look at me and you don't believe me, it pulls your heart to do your own research. The worst thing that you could do is have a relationship with God through me. It's the worst thing that you could do. Because when I fall, you'll say, oh, God, you don't, you don't, you don't work. So if, so if your faith is in man to God... We will always be able to justify our sin because a man fell. But God is not a man that he, I'm sorry, let, let, me, let me get to the word. Let's just jump into the word, sweetheart. I'm sorry, like you need like a, a clicker or something. Let's go to John 21. We're in the New International Version. Afterward, I want you to read it with me. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Where? By the Sea of Galilee. I want you to underline that. To say that Jesus appeared again means what? That he had already been there the whole time. It happened this way. Let's go to the next verse. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I want you to underline this next verse and read it with me out loud. Verse 3. It says what? I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night, what happened? They caught nothing. Let me give you some context. Up until this point... Jesus has went to the cross, he's been crucified, he's died, he's been in the tomb for three days. When, where we pick up here is the third day. Somebody say the third day. So the really cool thing about our faith is that Jesus saved us, right? Awesome. He died on the cross, saved us from sin. But you want to know something? That's not the coolest thing he did. We love saying that he saved us, but he did actually some really other cool stuff after he died. He had to die so that the cool stuff could happen. So, yes, you got saved, but without you being saved, you can't have power. Like, um, until Jesus died, we couldn't receive the Holy Spirit. So, yes, we needed him to die, but it was a means to an end. We teach the kingdom here at AWC so that you don't spend your entire life worshiping a piece of wood. The cross had no power. It was the blood that was spilt on the cross that has power. Therefore, Joshua has no power. It's the blood of Christ on Joshua that gives me power. You're not smart. It's the, it's the blood of Christ 
that's on you that makes you smart. You're not a good husband, sir. There is nothing that you can do to love your wife correctly. But if you're saved through the blood of Christ, it's the blood that makes you. So we need to change and shift where our faith is. But as humans, we put our faith in our abilities. What we can do, how much we read. I know that there's a bunch of podcasters in here. You could probably say that you're an expert on a certain term just because you read a book. But this is the thing. The Holy Spirit had to reveal to the writer what to say. Everything that we deal with in our life ultimately points back to who God is. But if we become spiritually prideful, we'll look at what happens in our life that's good based on our goodness. I'd hate to burst your bubble, but you, ma'am, you were not that fine and the sex was not that good that he married you. Oh, she heard. She said, what? <laughs> no, God is the one that made you ultimately attractive for him to get on the knee. You really think that you're that smart to get the promotion at your job? You don't even have a college education. And I know that that fits some of y'all in the room. So it's not your education. Somebody said it was the blood. So Jesus dying was dope. Super cool. Great. We get to go to heaven. But I'm only 29, and the expectancy rate, I'm supposed to live like another like 50, 60 years. So I don't want to live those 50 and 60 years worshiping a piece of wood and not having any power in the world. I just need three or four people in the building that I really want some real power. Like when I walk into the office, like I really want to make some stuff happen. Like I, I don't want to have to beg and borrow and, and rob Peter to pay John. Like I want to have some money. I want to have some influence. I want to have some power. But this is the thing. Once I get the money, influence, and power, I'm pointing right back to God because it came from him. Somebody say yes. yes. So Jesus has died. He's in the grave. How many days? Three days. He rises. At this point in time, Peter is frustrated because after Jesus has died, he doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? He results back to the only thing that he knows how to do. Sounds just like Christianity. You go to a conference, you hear a great word, you get super excited, you're on cloud nine. But then Monday comes and we don't know what to do because all we did was had a Holy Ghost fit, but we didn't get any actual knowledge. So what do you do? You go back fishing. And this is the crazy part, Mr. Dwayne. You have everything that you need in the word. But for some of us, we don't think that the word is enough. We think that God's going to give us a word, the people, the money, the strategy, and everything from top to bottom, and then we'll go. So then we could spend our entire lives from the time that we're born to the time that we're dead fishing. This is breaking somebody loose already, Chad. This might just be for you, bro. I don't know about you, but I have bigger and better things to do than the fish. Jump into the word. That's why today I'd like to talk to you about a concept called the middle of failure. What do you do, Christian? Brother, pastor, sister, saint. What do you do when God gives you the word? You try and it fails. What do you do when you send your son to, to summer camp? And then, you, then, then you, you send him to another Bible class. And then you send him to another small group. And you send him to another uh, a youth group. But, but he's still strung out. Huh? What, what, what do you do when God gave you a word to get married? At 20 and you 50, did the word change? Like, 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 what do you do when you fail? What do you do when you fall short? 
What do you do when it doesn't work out? For a lot of us, we don't believe in God. We go and find bait, a fishing pole, and some water, and go and do the last thing that we do because of the fact that your brain is built to be risk averse. For those of you that don't know what that means, your brain was built to keep you safe. What does that mean, Pastor Joshua? I'm glad that you asked. The reason why we live our lives in cycles is because it's safe to wake up, eat whatever you want, go to work, come back, eat whatever you want, and go to bed. Do you know how risky it is to go to the gym every day? Do you know how risky it is to actually eat the right thing every day? Do you know how risky it is to put yourself out there and date? Because you know you're going to get broken up with. Like, the rate of dating is like 12%, meaning that for every 10 people that you meet, you're only going to meet one suitor, and then once you sleep with them, it doesn't work out. So the Christians, we're afraid of failing, so we never try. But then we say that God is good. We say that God wants us to be prosperous, but all we're doing is fishing. If this is good already, somebody say yes. But God isn't the God of fishermen. The word of God says that you're a king. The word of God says that you're a prophet. The word of God says that whatever you do with your mouth open, whatever comes out of it has to happen. But God can't work with people that don't believe in themselves. So let's talk about the middle of failure. I want you to write this down, please. Failure is the lack of success or the inability to meet one's expectations. Now, this is another thing. Remember how I said earlier that I put my entire life on that point? I, I, was, I was lying. I'm sorry. I'm going to put my entire everything on this one. I, I want you to, to, to look at me. I want to see the whites of your eyes. Open them wide like this, like real, real, real wide. Okay, ready? You and I are imperfect people. What does that mean, PJ? I'm glad you asked. That means that we don't do, just do some things imperfectly. You do everything imperfectly. There is nothing that you do above satisfactory without the help of God. So this, con this concept of doing 10,000 hours and you become a master of it, not true. Because if that 10,000 hours doesn't include conversation with the Holy Spirit, you can never master it. The world is trying so hard to make you believe that you have to get to a certain point by your own energy before God will mess with you. Like, you got to be sober for six months before you pray and ask God to help you out. Like, that is the biggest load of crap I have ever heard in my life. Like, you mean to tell me a God that says that, he, that grace is sufficient is waiting for me to struggle long enough to realize that I need him? That doesn't sound biblical. I want to make sure that any person in this room under the sound of my voice knows that even as you're in the act of snorting the cocaine, Oh, is that too much for our sanctified church? Even as you're in the act of pulling your pants down, even in the act as while you're about to like jip somebody, all you PPP people, we're praying for y'all because them loans came and tore your life up. But even as they're clinking you up and putting you in the back of the wagon, you can call on Christ. The worst thing that you can do is wait to ask for God's help when you need it. You got to ask for God's help before you need it. So you don't have to wait for it all to go to hell in a handbasket before you call on Christ. While the, listen, I'll be schizophrenic sometimes. We'll be walking to the grocery store, and I'll be like, help me, Holy Ghost. I'll be talking to people and be like, thank you, Holy Spirit. Because what I know I'm about to say, it didn't come from me. But if you can become desensitized to the presence of God, you won't be able to call on him in the right moments because we won't know that he's there. So please write this down. Our imperfections will produce experiences of failure. There are three reasons why you are imperfect. Can we go through them? Somebody say, I'm imperfect. 
Now, really quick, I love, I love you Christians because then you'd be like, I'm imperfect, so therefore you're going to go drink an entire handle after church. No, 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 no. Like, your imperfection is not justification for sin. Well, you know, God will just take me as I am. Mark 15 says that he will throw every single person into a lake of fire, right? So we don't want to scare people with this conversation of hell. But at the same time, I don't want you to believe that because you're imperfect, that justifies you living your life that you know is wrong. Because once you know that it's wrong, now you can be held accountable. There are three reasons why. Is this good already? There are three reasons why you're imperfect. Number one is because we have imperfect emotions. Every time that you feel slighted, I can promise you that that wasn't the truth every time. Every time you feel cheated, I promise you, you weren't always cheated. Every time you feel prideful, every time you feel frustrated, every time you feel uh, angry, it's not always right because of the fact that somebody say, I'm imperfect. But on the flip side, since God is perfect, every time that he feels jealous, he should. Every time... God feels cheated by Joshua, he should. Since his emotions are perfect, whatever God is feeling in the moment is justifiable. But we have been trained that what we feel is real. Oh, they disrespected you. There was no disrespect. You were actually doing the, 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 the protocol at work. You were doing it wrong. Oh, but you've never been in a situation where somebody had to raise their voice above level two. So you think that every person that raises their voice level above a level two is yelling at you. Actually, they're trying to help you. So then the Christian person will love God and ask God for promotion, but leave every single job that they're promoted at. Because we don't know how to be corrected. Because I feel like they disrespected me. I feel like they're on my case. I feel that they won't let me get away with anything. The funny thing about them uh, not letting you get away with anything is that that's actually one of the signs of promotion. When your boss walks past all the cubicles to come and get on the back of your neck, hey, Joshua, what are you doing? Like, bro, why won't you leave me alone? I think if you were in tune with the Holy Spirit, he would say, well, hold up, bro. Didn't you say that you want a promotion? You said, I didn't put this on you. I'm not a God that will put on you more than you can bear. I mean, I know what you can bear. But if you can't bear it, that means that you asked for it. Somebody say imperfect emotions. The second reason is this. If we have imperfect emotions... That means that we will make imperfect decisions because we're not omniscient. You know what that word means? That means that you're all-knowing. Like, God knows everything about everything about everything. Growing up, we used to have these things called diaries. There was this thing called a diary locker. Did you guys ever have one of those? Like, it actually had, like, a, a, a click thing on the front of it, and it had a key. One time, Callie wrote some stuff in there, right, and she lost the key. So, like, she was like, oh, my God, if somebody finds this key... They're going to figure out all my secrets. And in my head, I'm like, you're six. I'm not sure what diabolical secrets you could have at six. But, like, everything that you think that nobody knows, God knows. But since your emotions are not perfect, that means that sometimes when you use your emotions that are imperfect, you'll make decisions that are stupid. Oh, y'all don't want me to talk to you. Oh, I'm in my bag today. Yeah, some of the dumb stuff that we ask God to deliver us from, we deserve it. That bad relationship that you're in, God, why would you take them away? I tried to tell you for like seven years. Like I don't, seven years, two kids later, he's not a bad man. You've just accepted it. So if we, be, oh, is this too much? So if we began to take personal responsibility for our imperfect emotions, we would probably lessen the amount of decisions that we make that are bad. 
Write this down. You can only make decisions based on the knowledge that you have. If you want to make better decisions, you got to stop making them in your emotions. How you feel should not steer the direction of your life. Look at your life. And if we look at the mistakes that any of us have made, and remember, I'm Joshua, I'm not pastor. My name is Joshua, therefore I make mistakes. I'm standing here, as beautiful as it might seem, but there's some stuff in my way, way back past. There's some stuff in my past from Wednesday night that it was based off of how Joshua felt. How Joshua felt determined how he ended up making a decision. And once you have imperfect decisions, now you have imperfect situations. How you feel, this is so good to me. How you feel dictates what you do, and what you do dictates where you are. You're not broke because you're broke. You're broke because you made bad decisions. And your bad decisions are probably because of an emotion. Sometimes those emotions are pride. Let's just talk about money just for a second. Since everybody wants to talk about money, and, and like the church just wants your money. No, 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 no. It would be easy to tithe. It would be easy to tithe if you budgeted it. People that budget aren't afraid to give 10% of anything. Because your mortgage is about 15% of what you make. So by giving my tithe, I'm telling God that this mortgage is not as important as being with him. What if we took personal responsibility? And looked at the situations that we're in before you crack down on that knee and pray that prayer. And we all know that prayer. I talk about it all the time. God, if you get me out of this one, I'll never. You lying. Stop. Yes, you will. Because you're asking for grace right now to go back and do it. God, if you get me out of this one. I'm trying to sound as ugly as possible. Maybe if I had some water, I could be like, God. You'd be slobbering. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Don't let my house get foreclosed on. Wait a minute. Like, they don't just, they don't just foreclose. You, there was a journey here, bruh. Like, <laughs> you, you, you passed up on those envelopes multiple, mo- multiple times. Six times, bruh. You look at that, that check and said, nah, six, six times. So maybe it's not that God doesn't answer prayer. Maybe it's that once you ask God to answer the prayer, he looks at your ability to have made the right decision all six times. So God does not go with prayers unanswered. God looks back at what he told you six months ago, Jason. That's how things that we ask God to bless us with can become a curse because of poor management. Your emotions will tell you what to do. And if you allow them to tell you what to do, you will be in situations that will last you your entire life. And every single person in this room is sitting in the middle of a situation that was based off a decision that you made when you were angry, frustrated, sexually frustrated. Oh, like people are like, oh my God, like you're talking about, y'all told me once I got married, I could be honest. I've been married for two years now. I got two stripes. Okay, leave me alone. Can't stand that. We were dating, I'll hold her hand. Don't touch your PDA. Now I'm married and I can't hold her hand. Make up your mind. My PDA, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, I hope it does. Because y'all made me feel uncomfortable for 26 years. Deal with it. (laughs) Somebody say imperfect. 
Every situation that we walk through cannot be resolved without God. Let's jump back into Peter's story. Peter's frustrated because he's realized that he's imperfect. And and there's a whole string of disappointments. Verse 3 says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, what? We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, what happened? They caught nothing. What does your faith look like after a string of failures? Now, let's look at Peter really quick. Now, we all remember that Peter is the rock, right? Like he's the foundation of which God's going to build his church. So dope. God also told Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Awesome. But sometimes what God told you, that voice can become uh, a softer and softer when failure starts to talk to you. The word that God has on your life is super dope. But if you get addicted to pornography, every time that you watch, that can become louder than what God said. Can I be honest, truthful, and raw with y'all this morning? That sometimes the reason why Joshua fails isn't because God isn't good. It's because my flesh is weak. There are areas where Joshua fails, not because God isn't strong enough. I'm not disciplined. Everything that you fall to is not the devil's fault. (laughs) But because we don't want to take responsibility... We blame Beelzebub. Oh, it was the devil. The devil made me do it. No, you wanted to, bro. You even set up. You set up the sneaky link, bro. Like, you set, you, set, you set up a whole new Instagram that doesn't have your photos on it or nothing to be able to text old girl whenever you want to after 10 o'clock. So it wasn't the devil. It was lust. You wanted this, bro. I'm sorry. Somebody feel convicted right now. Like, he deleted it right now. Scooting away from her. He brought her to church too. Like, I can't, you know, you have to find a ride home. <laughs> Somebody say, move on, Joshua. <laughs> Peter had experienced a string of disappointments. Let's go through them. In Mark 10, Peter kept the babies from Jesus. Remember, the babies wanted to come to God, and, and, and Jesus stops Peter and he says, Hey, bro, that's wrong. Like, unless you come to me like a child, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. So somebody say strike one. Strike two in Matthew 14, Peter falls when walking on the water. Now, many of us would say that this is a failure, and that's what Peter was saying to himself. I'm going fishing because I'm reminded that remember that one time when Jesus was on the water and I walked out to him? I failed. I, I, I fell. Next, somebody say strike two. Strike three is Matthew 26. Peter fails to stay awake with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, Jesus is like, bro, just an hour? Like, you can't stay up for, like, an hour. Like, an hour. some of y'all nodding off in here because you didn't get enough sleep. I get it. It's okay. Fall asleep. This might be the only piece that you get. But, like, yo, bro, like, for an hour? An hour? Kidding. 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 You see the people in the back? like. <laughs> Somebody say, strike four. Luke 22, Peter personally denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but thrice. That's old English for any of you. Like Monty Python, Holy Grail, anybody? No? All right. Next, John 21. Now, he's failed in fishing. So it wasn't enough that I denied Jesus three times. It wasn't enough that I denied children. But the only thing that I'm good at, like, I'm, my name is Peter. Jesus found me fishing. Like, and you know how good of a fisherman you got to be? To make that your living? Like, that means that you got to catch fish every time you go fishing. And we from the country. I can't tell you any time I've had three days in a row of fishing and caught something. 
That means you don't, you're not just catching one fish every day. You catching fishes every day. So you did not, you, you didn't let the babies come to Jesus. Failure. You fell in the water, dummy. Failure. You fell asleep, stupid, narcolepsy. Failure. You denied Jesus three times after you told him you wouldn't. Failure. So if I go back to fishing, it should, it should work because this is the last thing I was doing when I met Jesus. But once you have a true encounter with God, when you try to go back to the life that you had before the failure, it won't, it won't, it won't, it won't work. Once Peter was named a fisher of men, it was impossible for him to catch fish. So think about Peter. He's walking from Rome where Jesus was crucified to the Sea of Galilee, and that's a long walk. Don't you think that this stuff was haunting him? What do you do now? You deny Jesus. He's in the ground. Bro, you were walking on the water. Didn't work out. Bro, you slept with him, and now you have a baby out of wedlock. God can't use you. And the, the enemy will start to put a cassette player of the areas where you fell short on repeat in your mind. Now, let me pause for the cause just for a second. The devil is not omnipresent. What does that mean, PJ? I'm glad that you asked. That means that he is not everywhere at all times. That means that he has to literally take an inventory of who he's going to torment at a time. Which means that if he can get you trapped on yourself, he doesn't have to bother you. So some of the stuff that you have thought was the devil since 1968 was actually side B of the cassette player in your head. Y'all remember that when that thing used to go like this? Click. Take that thing out like this. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Flip that thing over. What happened? Side B, baby. Yes, sir. The devil is not that powerful that he's sitting on your shoulder influencing every decision. So if you're insecure, he'll use that. I know that Jason's insecure. Not the truth. He's, he's extremely, like, like, who he needs to be, but I can pick on him, and he's not going to be like, oh, my God, you picked on me. I appreciate you. You're insecure. So the enemy won't sit on your decision in every situation. He'll put insecurity in front of you. You see what I'm saying? Vanessa might be fearful, which she's not. But the devil doesn't have to be with you in every decision that you make. He just has to put fear in front of you. So as Peter's walking from where he was to where he was going... All he can see is his failures. But this is the funny thing about it, is that every time that Peter failed, Jesus never said it was a failure. All he did was correct him. I want to let you know under the sound of the Holy Spirit that God has never called you a failure. He was just trying to correct your decision making. Young men underneath the age of 35. You want to stunt your growth and who you are. You want to marry the wrong person. You want to be more prone to addiction. You want to be more prone to anxiety and depression. Run away from correction. Run, run away from every man, and men especially. Because if you have a problem with authority, that means you have a problem with God. If no one can correct you, if no one can tell you sit down and shut up, even when they're wrong, you really think that Pastor Martin is always right when he corrects Joshua? He's imperfect. 
Remember, you forgot. You thought he was perfect. No, no, no. Martin is imperfect. But so even when I'm justified to curse him out, which I would never do, am I prideful enough to know that even though what he's telling me makes no sense, and there's a lot of those that happen, do I trust him enough to trust the good in his decision making? Every person that hurt you didn't mean it. Some people that hurt you and scarred you were actually trying to help you. If you have boys right now that are playing summer sports and the coach is mean, you better keep them there. Because it's a difference between a coach spitting in their face and a policeman pulling them over and them acting out because they don't know how to say yes, sir, no, sir, and just get home. Well, Pastor Joshua, we're dealing with police brutality. Most definitely. There are crooked cops everywhere. But there are also crooked pastors in pulpits right now. So don't play this stupid game with me about defunding the police. We should defund some of these churches too, but let me move on. 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 Every man or woman of God with a microphone is not anointed to tell you what to do with your family. If God gave you a word for your family, I can't say anything about it. You need to trust yourself. Somebody needs to sit on their feet and say, I trust me. How do we give you the God to put on the inside of you and then not trust you to trust the God that's on the inside of you? The same God that's living in me is in you. Don't let this podium get you messed up. Don't let this pulpit get you messed up. Your gift is just as important in the church as it is out there. Matter of fact, let's flip it. Your gift is more important out there than it is in here. Do you know that you have a pulpit? It might not be one with lights, but it might be in the nursing room. It might be in the hospital. It might be as a teacher standing and teaching those kids. Like, do you understand the teacher that gave their life for those students was serving the kingdom of God? Every other teacher ran, and she put herself in harm's way. It's absolutely terrible. And if any of those family members, I don't know what, because I think the AWC is going to reach the world. If any of you are watching this after post-production, it's terrible that you lost your sister. It's terrible that you lost your daughter. It's terrible that you lost your sibling. But do you want to know something? Because of her sacrifice. I trust me. God gave me a word. I don't need no man to hook him aside and put oil on his hand and tell me to trust the God. I trust the God in me because he's in me. Somebody say, he's in me. Peter forgot that he was in him. Peter spent three years walking with Jesus. If we could pull Peter up, he could tell you what Jesus smelled like. He, he, he could tell you the weird quirkiness that Jesus had because he was all God, all man. He could tell you what he smelled like after he didn't brush his teeth. I mean, they didn't have toothbrush, but I, how did they brush their teeth back then? No, for real. That might be enough. Don't play with me. I will make a whole sermon series out of bad breath. Don't do me. But Peter forgot who was on the inside of him. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And he forgets that as he's going fishing, the other men follow him. So can you throw up my, 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 uh, my, my second point, please? Failure doesn't disqualify your future. Peter's feeling sorry for himself because he feels that he's disqualified himself. God said I was going to be a fisher of men. Bro, I can't even fish no more, so what the heck am I supposed to do? This is all I know how to do, right? But then he says what to the, to the disciples? Hey, y'all, I'm going fishing. And what do they do? They follow him. Which means that even in your lowest moment, you still have influence. 
<laughs> Even when you give up on you, I promise you, if you look behind you with your head hanging low, if you lift it up high enough, you'll see that there are still people that trust in you after you fail big. You want to figure out who's your tribe? Fail. You want to figure out who really loves you? Ask them for money and see if they ask you to give it back or if they give it as a gift. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want to figure out who's in your tribe and who's like your forever person? When you mess up big and they're justified to leave, do they risk their career? Do they risk their influence, their popularity? Do, do they risk their reach to be your brother? This is one thing that I hate about the Christian church is that we have grace for people that are addicts, that are same-sex attracted, that are frustrated, that are addicted to certain things, but let a pastor fall. First thing that we want to do is move them out of the pulpit, which is necessary, which is necessary, which is necessary, which is necessary. You need to move them out of that place. If you're cooking food and you poison one person, there's no grace for getting you back on the grill. Get that booger out of the kitchen. But God has given me a gift. You killed a brother, folk. Like, you, you, you didn't know that chicken had to be cooked all the way through? Well, it's el dente. El dente. El dente is pasta, my guy, not chicken. Cook it all the, somebody say all the way through. Hey, I feel a spirit of seasoning chicken thoroughly in the building. Lift it up. Lift it up in Jesus' name. Lift up your hands if you, if you don't use Lowry's, if you don't use salt. Hey, I come against the spirit of unseasoned chicken in Jesus' name. I'm just like, July 4th is coming. Juneteenth is coming. I mean, you just want to make sure your stuff is thoroughly seasoned. But pastors fall. We do the right thing by moving them out of the pulpit, but then we don't restore them. It's really hard for me. I haven't watched all of like, these documentaries that are out about pastors falling because it just proves to me that, like, if I were to fall, would you do the same thing? And right now you say, no, pastor, we love you, but let me fall. I promise you the closest people to me are going to be my wife, my family, and a chosen few, which means that you shouldn't have to trust. Yes, ma'am, you shouldn't have to not trust people, but when the stuff hits the fan, Immediately when you turn around, you should be able to name who's going to be there. A lot of us, our expectations are on people who are only with you to congratulate you when it worked out. But they're not willing to get your rebound when you go back to shoot in the gym after missing the, like, like whatever free throw it was to like lose, right? Like, so, so the reason why Peter is so powerful is because he was honest with himself about failing. There are some people in this room, I've been in this season, where it's not working and you're trying to prove people right and you're wasting time. Hey, bro, this business is going to work. The business plan literally doesn't make any sense. Well, Noah built an ark. No, bro, like you have no capital. Like you, your design isn't even copywritten, so you can't even go to market. Man, you just hating. No, bro, this is wisdom. Peter forgets that God is on the inside of him. And he allows for his failures to speak louder to him than what God said. Let's pause for the cause. How many lies are on repeat in your head right now? How many things that God didn't say are you in belief right now? It might have been a word curse from a third grade teacher. Joshua, you're dyslexic. You're never going to learn anything. Hey, Ms. Johnson. I mean, I'm not trying to be rude, right? But like... I'm here not because I'm smart. I still deal with dyslexia, but it was the blood of Jesus. Like, sometimes people got to hate on you just so that you know how much expectation God has of you. So if you only got three haters right now, you should try to get to 10 by the end of the summer. 
And as Apostle Cat Williams says, if you don't got nobody to hate on, please feel free to hate on me. You hating on me proves the grace on my life. All four of your tires went out in one year? Oh, that's grace, baby. What are you talking about? I had to pay for them. Oh, yeah, but the enemy wants to try to destroy your momentum to purpose. So if, if it just so happens you try to get into school and there's no spots of vacancy, you should change your thinking. Oh, shoot. This is the right program. <laughs> she dating somebody else, but God calls you to be with her. I'm not saying to sabotage the relationship, but you can do the right things while she's holding his hand and be the guy, even though you're not the guy yet. Oh, y'all like, what? If she's married, that's off the table. And brother's like, dang. <laughs> Can we have fun in church? What lies are you believing? Who told you you were stupid? Who told you you were slow? Who told you it wouldn't work? Who told you you'd never be married? Who, 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 who do you know? Like, you be praying in the spirit, but you feel like this pull and this tug. It's not always the devil. Sometimes it's people that are closest to you. That's why you got to be very, very careful who you share what with. Because if Peter would have told the wrong people that he was going fishing, somebody might have tried to hide his bait. Man, where's my bait at? Somebody stole it. You have to make sure that the people that are in your circle, when you tell them that you're going to fish, when you're in your most vulnerable state, when you're at the lowest of lows, everybody can't be in your circle. Stop sharing your biggest failures on Facebook. Instagram does not need to know that it didn't work out. You need to make a list of six people, four people, three people that you go to on a consistent basis. You want to know how I know that you, that, 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 that you shared our business? I only told you. Why does Kim know, Jeff? <laughs> Did, didn't you tell? No, bro. I did tell her. We were at coffee. That means you said something. Because sometimes just as devious as the devil is, people can be devious too. People that are jealous, where things are not working in their favor, where they're upset. They're, they're upset with how happy and free you are, Miss Nikki, because they remember how broken you were. They remember when you used to cry on this altar all the time. So like now when she comes to the altar, she's praying and she's smiling. Like, like they'll begin to pray on your downfall. God, I pray that it doesn't work out for her. And it's not because you're not good, but people can be so sick on the inside of themselves that if it's not working out for them, they don't want it to work out for anybody else. That's why we teach the kingdom. Darren, the lowest level of your serve should be playing drums in the church. The lowest use of what you do in the world should be serving the church. If you can serve it in the church, you can get a bag doing the same thing out there. And I'm committed, again, because this has been what our pastors have done for the last 27 years. I'm committed to giving you a free place to serve in the church in hopes that you create it lucratively outside of these four walls. You don't have to work for somebody if you don't want to. How many of you have a desire to start your own business? You don't need anybody to put an anointing on you. The reason why you have the desire is because God put it there, not because you want it. Somebody say yes. Should I move on? Okay, thank you, wife. Point number two, failure doesn't disqualify your future. Let's jump to verse four. Somebody say, early in the morning. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, 
but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. This is the second time that he's, that he's shown himself. Remember when we go up to verse 1, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. That's the first time. Now in verse 4, it says, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was him. He called out to them and said, what? Friends, haven't you any fish? He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Really quick. There is a difference between have you caught anything and you ain't caught nothing. If I ask you, have you caught anything, that's me saying I ain't caught nothing either. But if I ask you, you haven't caught anything, I can only say that because I've actually caught fish. Verse 9 says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with what? Fish on it and some bread. Peter has gone through failing. He fishes all night and it doesn't work out. Write this point down. Emptiness should produce openness. If you've ever been in a season in your life where something's not working out, logic would tell you that since it's not working out based off of your plan, you should be open to some advice. But there's this little thing called pride. That when we fail, we want to be the hero in our own story. So we won't take any help from anybody else. Because pride tells you, Joshua, if you take help from them, you're confirming that you're stupid. But it's actually the flip. When somebody's really trying to help you, and you know because the spirit is alike. How many of you have ever met somebody, seen somebody that was just trying to help you, and they wanted nothing from you? Like, I don't care. I don't want any money. I don't want any accolades. But if you keep doing this, you're going to hurt yourself. Like, I really don't want any, like, recognition, right? It's the difference between when somebody gives you a gift and, and, like, every time they come to your house, they ask you, where's that gift I gave you? It's like, it's been 10 years. Like, we probably gave it away. Like, I just... We should stop asking because I would hurt you and say we broke it because it was hideous anyway. Who shops at, I'm, I'm not going to say it because I would be like, I shop there. I'm not going to do it. But pride will get in the way of us being able to receive advice. It says in the word that once they hear to throw their net on the other side of the boat, they automatically begin to catch fish. But let's go to verse number four. It says what? Early in the morning. Remember, Jesus has been at Galilee the whole time. So Jesus watched Peter walk to Galilee. Jesus watched Peter go and fish, and Jesus watched Peter fish all night and catch nothing. A lot of us might be asking, like, why didn't Jesus just come in the first time that they pulled up the net and it was empty? Sometimes I think God wants you to realize how bad we, how bad we suck. I, th I think God has human moments, you know? Like, you're prideful, too. Don't do that. Anybody that says, I've beaten pride, it comes up. It creeps up. It's like when you buy something and you hope that as you're leaving the neighborhood, your neighbor sees you. It's like you plan it. Carol gets home at 6, which means that she should be pulling up around 6.10. So I'm going to conveniently go to the grocery store in my new car at 6.05. Okay. And then you pull off and you open up the garage. She's not there. You let it down. You look out the window. Is Carol's not home? Oh, it's Thursday. She gets home for 7 o'clock. Okay. Then, then you look for her, you hear a car, you run out, open up the garage, it's not her, you let the garage down, go back out and look at the window. And now what you're doing is you're changing your schedule to prove to somebody that really doesn't matter if they see you or not. Peter, had he caught some fish, would have trusted Jesus. I'd like to say to some of you in the room that in some of your seasons of barrenness where it's not working out, 
It might not be that you don't know how to fish. It might be that God is waiting for you to put your net down and ask him to join in your boat. Well, it worked out this time last year. God doesn't do anything the same way twice. Yes, you're a great fisherman, Peter, but you forgot the first time that he met Jesus, what was he doing? Fishing. And what did Jesus tell him to do? Take your nets, throw them on the other side. So Jesus does the same miracle a different way in a different place. Because sometimes God has to allow you to fail to prove how much you need him. If you're failing, it's not necessarily that you're a bad person. I think that God is sitting there with his arms folded, tapping his toe like, when is it Joshua going to just like turn around and ask me to help him? Like, why, why do you keep bumping your head, son? How many of you guys have kids? I love when y'all talk to your kids like that. Like, come get your son. Once he does something wrong, he's the other person's son now. But when he's good, he's your, look at my baby. He start walking around the house naked. Come get your boy. Come, come. <laughs> Peter and the disciples fish all night, and they come up with nothing. But silly people will argue with expert instruction. You want to see a silly person? Watch them argue with somebody that actually has the fruit of what they're toiling for. The silliest thing that you can do is pay money for a conference and financial freedom and not do what the person that actually has the money is telling you to do. Because then it turns into this. You don't want to pay for my product, but you want to have these small one-off conversations. Hey, Joshua, what would you do? Actually, my rate is $50 an hour. Come on, bro, what's the homie rate? Oh, the homie rate, $50 an hour. <laughs> 75 on the weekends. Because every hour you take from me is an hour I could have potentially open with my wife. So, like, we got to figure this thing out. Peter had the opportunity when Jesus told him what to do, he could have said no. And that's what a lot of us look like. I don't believe that everybody in the room is dealing with a season in their life where God's not talking to you. Some people, I think that you, like God's not talking to you because you need to make that decision. But I think that for some of us in the room, God is screaming. No! Stop! Turn around! Pull your pants up! And it's just like, we don't want to hear what he has to say because we don't want to listen to his actual instruction. And look at your neighbor and say, he actually knows what he's doing. Any person that will take the time out to correct you and it doesn't come off with a bad attitude is not trying to hurt you. How much further could we be as a people if we just accepted when somebody wanted to help us and we didn't see it as a threat? You make the decision between what is fatal and what is final. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread, which means that Jesus was already fishing. Like, he's like, I can catch fish. Like, I'm the master of fish. So when I tell you to do something, it's actually because I know what I'm doing. Let's go to this next point. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, what? Come and have breakfast. But none of the disciples dared what? Ask him, who are you? Why? Because they knew it was the Lord. How many situations have you been in and you knew it was the Lord? But because you were afraid to tell him how bad you messed up, you ignored him. We call this running away from calling. You know you should be a teacher. That's the reason why working at LinkedIn isn't working. Because you are afraid of taking the test to get your teacher's certificate. And you failed once. You know, when you fail something one time, it doesn't mean you're a failure. You only become a failure when you quit. If you don't quit, you're trying. You want to know how I know? You don't call a lawyer a bad lawyer when they lose. You call them practicing. 
let a doctor slip. You know everyone here, your doctor said, oops. <laughs> but your doctor has this thing called practicing insurance. So if he does one of the oops, guess what? He's going to take some time away from that surgical office. But he's going to go back to practicing again. What things have you left on the table because you failed one time? How many unwritten books are in this room right now? You have all the chapters done, but you just need to send it to publishing, but you're terrified. Like you have everything that you need. You got the money. You have the money to go to school, but you're terrified because I'm going to fail. Write this down. Failure is inevitable. If you don't fail, that means you're not trying. If you never fail, that means that you found something that you do well once and you just keep repeating it. People that don't fail do not take risks. And you cannot follow Christ and be risk averse. Walking with Christ is God telling you to run into burning buildings. And you do it one time, Vanessa, and then you're like, wow, I get my run into a burning building badge. And then the next step you take, there's another burning building. God says, run to that one too. Like, well, hold up, dog. Whoa. Whoa. You told Jesus to die on the cross one time. There wasn't another cross after he died. And God says, yes, there was. Because every time you sin, it's like you crucify him again. So, yes. Are you willing to make the decision one time? Cool. But Sister Saint, Brother Pastor, are you okay with failing over and over again? And deciding to trust God in the failure. When the pregnancy test says, not pregnant, do you stop trying? When you lose your job and you're sitting there trying to figure out how you're going to make it in the next two weeks, do you quit trying? And I think that we're living in a day and an age where the church has stopped trying. And we're afraid. We're getting married at lesser and lesser rates, if at all. I, don't, I know what you think, but the millennials in Gen Z are actually having babies at half the rate as the boomers. There are less babies in 10 years from 2000 to 2010 than there was in 1940 and 1950. Like, people are not happy with their lives. And the way in which we know people are not happy with their lives is that they're not taking risks. Do you remember how vibrant you used to be when you first knew about God? Remember how excited you were? Remember when you first started dating the person that you're married to? You remember how excited that was? Why? Because you didn't know who they were. And, like, there was, like, a spark in there. And then you realize that they're crazy. And you're like. <laughs> but for some of us, just like in marriage, we become familiar with God. It's the equivalent of using the restroom with the door open. At first, you didn't want him to know that you passed gas. Now the door open. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the, the chicken's on the uh, over there and make sure the babies come there. Like, and then, you, you know, you lift up your leg to pass. Like, and we do that with God. We become so familiar with God that we forget that he's God. Peter sees Jesus on the shore and doesn't even know that he's him. How do you spend three years with somebody that's done all these miracles, told you that he was going to die, told you that he was going to raise himself up from the dead, but then when you see him, you don't recognize him. I don't think that God has left or abandoned us in this room from certain situations. I don't think that all of us recognize when he's walked in the room. God hasn't left you. We just don't know what his face looks like. God hasn't left you. God's not not speaking. I mean, I know that's a double entendre, a double negative. Oh, my grammar police are like, oh, there it is. <laughs> God hasn't left you. God's not not speaking. It's just that we're unfamiliar with his voice. 
all of them realize who it is, but nobody wants to say, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. The disciples end up hauling their catch in. They have breakfast with Jesus. But John reveals that Jesus is the keeper of his word and prophecy. I want you to go to Matthew 28, 5 through 7. Now, in Matthew 28, this is the, di- this is the third day after Jesus has died. Where we're talking about right now with Peter and the disciples is later on in that day. But earlier, Matthew 28, it says, the angel said to the women, you know who these women are? It's Mary and Martha. Because Mary and Martha go to the tomb and they're like, what in the world? He's not here. This is that they see these two angels. And it says, the angels say to them, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for who? Jesus, who was what? Crucified. Underline this point. Say, he's not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he, uh, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into where? Galilee. There you will see him. Now I hate. Now I have told you. Don't allow missing the mark to keep you from moving your feet. Because the proof of faith is movement. Many of us have heard a word and it moved us, but it didn't move us. We get super excited and we cry and we scream and we start running, but we never move. Some of the places where we don't think God is, he's not because he told us to meet him somewhere else. Look at your neighbor and say, get to Galilee. Let's go please uh, to uh, Luke 22 and I'm going to wrap up. Has this been good this morning? Okay, Luke 22. Uh, It says, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not. This is Peter. As he's, as he's sitting there, they're about to crucify Jesus. And they start asking Peter, do you know Jesus? Remember what Jesus told Peter? He says, I trust you because you're going to deny me three times. What does P- Peter do? Peter pulls an OG Bobby Johnson. I ain't going to ever turn on you, brother. They're going to have to kill me before I turn on you, man. Snitches get stitches, Jesus. I'll ride for you. Rough riders, you know what I'm talking about? He's like, I ain't never going to, man, me? Deny you, Jesus? Bro, I've been with you for three years, bro. You remember, buddy? I cut his ear off. You think I'm going to deny? Man, what? That's disrespectful, Jesus. I, I mean, I don't think he talks like that to him. That's just how I envision it. I watched training day on Thursday, so I'm trying to like, <laughs> you want to go to jail? You want to go? <laughs> He's talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, no, you're going to deny me. Look at your neighbor. Say, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up big. Like, like your, your marriage, it's going to flop at some point. Like, your, your, your school career, it's not going to work out. Like, what you told all the people in the town that you left that you said you were going to prove it to, it's not going to happen overnight. Like, you're not going to go from being in, like, high school basketball to winning the championship. Like, there's a process. This is Peter's process. He says, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not. That's how I feel Peter said it. Bruh. I don't know, dude. But you were walking with him. I don't know, buddy. Like, stop. Then what happens next? Can we go to verse uh, 59? It says, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow (laughs) was with him. Why? For he is a Galilean. Peter replied, bruh, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Jesus had told Peter, glory to God. Jesus had told Peter, when you hear the rooster crow, you will have done what you promised you wouldn't. 
one of the worst things that you can do in your life is speak a word curse over yourself. But we do it all the time as Christians. I'll never. I would never cheat on my wife and you're not married. Are you saying it's justified? I'm not saying it's justified. But being unmarried and being married are two different games. It's easy to point the finger at somebody when you're not under the same pressure that they're living under. Not saying that it's right that they did what they did, but there are some things in our life, I'm not justifying what you did, but I get it. I understand. Right? All of you parents have thoughts of killing your kids. It's not justified. <laughs> but there are some of you, you'd be looking at your child like, we're going to take a ride by the lake. Like, you'd be thinking. <laughs> it's not justified, but we're human. Another part of being human is forgiving yourself when you fail. What was holding Peter back in this entire story wasn't his failure. It was his inability to forgive himself for failing. A lot of the stuff that's holding back the Christian church isn't asking for forgiveness from God. It's forgiving yourself for the mistake that you made that you haven't let yourself loose from. You don't need nobody to lay hands on you. You need to lay hands on yourself and say, Joshua, you didn't know. You, did, you had no idea. It's okay, bro. Like, I know you didn't know what, what that was. I know that you didn't know. And for some of the men in the room, women, I know you didn't know what you saw at five was going to be an issue at 50. Like, you didn't, that wasn't your, that wasn't your fault. You were in uncle's basement, and then you just happened to go and look for Windex, and you found some magazines, and now you're 50, still looking at the same magazines, but now they're digital. Like, it wasn't your fault. And we will hold ourselves hostage and never reach purpose. They ask Peter, they say, hey, bro, do you know Jesus? No. Hey, bro, you was walking with Buddy. I don't know him. Third time, fam, we saw you walk. He was riding on a donkey. Blessed is he who comes. You had the palm, everything. You were with him. I don't know him, rooster crows. And from that point to the point of where we were reading, the worst person that's beating up Peter is himself. Write this down, please. The biggest enemy to your future is your negative thinking. How you think about you is more detrimental to your purpose than anything that the devil could do. That's why in those movies, you know, like when, um, like in Castaway or in like the Titanic or what's another movie like where like there's no, like they're not supposed to make it. There's a movie called Gravity. Like there's like a 0.001% chance that you make it. The, what's the difference between the people that make it and the people that die? Hope. When did, you, when did you stop hoping? When did you lose faith in what God said? Was it when you failed? When did you forget that you're the reason why your family's held together? When, when did you realize, like, how many of you guys know if you didn't show up to Christmas dinner this year, nobody would show up? Like, you're like the mediator. Like, you're the glue frame. It's a lot of pressure, but you know if I don't show up, Uncle Jerry gonna get drunk. He gonna throw his bottle at Aunt Gertrude. They've been together for 50 years, never got married, but they gonna fight like they've been married. My, my cousin's bad kid's gonna be stealing. Where's my purse? I don't know. Did you leave it around little Jimmy? I told you not to leave it around little Jimmy. I told you to put it in the room. Like, you're the glue that keeps it all together. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. He moves Peter out from among them. This is gonna set somebody free. Peter, in the sense of feeling that he's failed, feeling that he has no future, feeling that he's disqualified himself from being a fisher of men, Jesus takes the personal time to minister him by himself. 
any and every time, I don't know about you, but I'll speak about myself. Every time that Joshua has and should have been disqualified, I cannot tell you one time where Jesus didn't pull me to the side and teach me. Now, you're going to have to go through the consequences of your actions. Now, you failed really big. But when you get done serving this little five-month stint of spiritual prison time, because <laughs> it's, it's a sentence, I sentenced you to five months. Oh, God, it's over with. No, it's just five months. You'll be all right. Take it like a champ, bro, you know. After he tells me that, I, he always says, but you, I want to make sure you know I still love you. I, I want to make sure you know that your future, the purpose that I told you, it's, it's not destroyed. It's just five months delayed. Your future wasn't destroyed. Somebody say it was delayed. It's not over. You just got to spend some more time getting yourself back together. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. I'm going to show you something. I taught this entire message to get here. And Vanessa, look, it's 1140. Yeah. So I get, do I get the Reese's cup like you brought? Yeah. Mm. Calorie deficit. And she says I get to have candy. Yes. Okay. How many times does Peter deny Jesus? Let me show you this. Can I, can I teach this to you how God gave it to me? Because I felt like I've been failing in these past couple of months, being totally honest. Pastor Joshua, you're the new lead pastor of AWC. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. And y'all... Y'all think it's funny, but you only see me one time a week. <laughs> you, you don't see me in my prayer closet on Thursday. You see this. You don't see God. Why? You knew I wanted to be, you knew I wanted to do something different. You knew I wanted to move to L.A. God, there were job offers that are paying me more than what I'm making now. And like the people actually liked me. Why would you do this to me? Why would you give me the desire to do something that you knew I wouldn't do unless you gave me the desire? I don't want this. Why? Then Sunday morning, hey, hey, how's everybody doing this morning? Y'all happy to be in the house of God? Come on, somebody clap once if you're ready for the word. And it's like I have to start getting into this routine where I'm willing to perform what God wants on purpose even when I don't feel it. If you stop doing what God has called you to do because you don't feel it, how many people will be hurt? I don't feel it. If I didn't show up because I didn't feel it, whoever needs this word today wouldn't get it. It's not because I'm a good person. It's because God knew, Joshua, I'm gonna ha- you're going to have to sacrifice in order to do this. The way in which you know it came from God is when it hurts a little bit. The enemy will not give you anything that hurts. It'll feel good all the time. Until he pulls the rug from underneath you. This is the reason why I got to teach an entire sermon series on this. Because I want to dig into why Paul called it a thorn. The thorn in my side. Because he never asked Jesus to pull the thorn from his side. Paul asks to understand it. But maybe that's too over. I'll, I, don't, I don't know. Somebody say, I don't want this. No, 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 no. Say it like you said in your prayer closet. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want to have to struggle with, like, trying to decide between being intimate with my wife and watching pornography. This is hard. Like, a logical person would just watch the pornography and never get married because, like, it takes care of all of it. But sometimes the pain is an indication that you're in the right place. Peter denies Jesus three times. But after Peter denies Jesus three times, God gives Peter three times to restore himself. 
Can I teach this how I got it? They asked Peter, do you know Jesus? He says, what? Somebody say, no, nah, bro. But then when you read verse 16, it says, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Somebody say a third time. Third time. Hey, Peter, do you know who Jesus is? Bro, I'm telling you, I don't know who he is. And he messes up. Somebody says he fails three times. But then in verse 17, it says a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter wasn't excited because Peter didn't understand what was happening. Word of God says that Peter was what? Hurt. That Jesus even had to ask the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know some things. You know a little bit about who I am. God, he, Peter, basically, this is how I see it. I think Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, you knew I didn't want to deny you three times. God, you know that as my lips were denying you, my heart was breaking because I knew the truth. Third time he said, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. Jesus said, what? Feed my sheep. Instantaneously, Peter is restored back to being a fisher of men. Instantaneously, Peter goes from just being a fisherman to being rebuilt as the foundation that God is going to build his church on. Please write this point down. Failure can either be a place or a path. You get to make the decision between if you are going to build a tent in your failure and live there, or if you're going to put stones on the ground and walk through your failure. God has never called you a failure. The only way that we can call you a failure is if you quit. So this is the word of encouragement. I've talked through all of that in an hour to get to this point. Don't quit. I can tell you not to quit because I know how hard it is. Because like, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm on my boat. Anybody feel like they're on their boat fishing and nothing's in the net? Any of y'all? Don't, don't play with me. Like you feel like you've been fishing all night. And like I haven't even caught seaweed. By this point, I should have caught a boot. Like I should have caught a toilet seat, something, but nothing. My nets are clean, which means I'm not even catching algae. How is that biologically impossible? Like, like when I throw this thing in the water, it should catch something like a minnow. A hermit crab, a little shrimp, but nothing. Peter is reminded that even in the middle of his failure, he can be restored to his future. And I just came this morning just to encourage you. Ain't going to be no altar call. You're going to pray for yourself throughout this entire sermon series. I want you to do this. Any person in the room that has the faith this morning to forgive yourself for what you have been holding over your head, I want you to stand to your feet. Today, you're going to forgive yourself. Come on. It might not be for everybody. Maybe there are some perfect people in the room, probably, I guess. But you messed up big. And you've been living with it. You might have had a child out of wedlock. You're like, God, I can't be used. God never said that. You might have had a stint in your life when you were addicted to drugs and alcohol. God, he can't use me. Bro, it was, it was methamphetamines. God can't use me. And God's like, I never said that. Who said it? I did. So I want you to do, take your right hand, put it on your forehead, and begin praying for yourself. Release yourself. Open up your mouth. Really, don't, don't be shy now. God, I release myself from the addiction. You never said that I was an addict. I, I placed this on myself. You never said I was a failure. 
You've never said that, that I couldn't do it. You've never said that I couldn't. Come on, AWC, get free this morning. You never said I was dumb. You never said I was fat. You never said I was skinny. You never said that I was too black or too white. God, you never said I was too feminine or too masculine. God, these are all lies that I told myself. Somebody's getting free right now. Now forgive yourself. Say it. Joshua, I forgive you, bro. Josh, I forgive you. It's not the devil. He's not that strong. You're more powerful than he is. So the words that you've told yourself are not the truth. I forgive you, man. I'm sorry for lying to you. Some of you need to start talking to yourself at six years old. Talk to yourself at seven. And this is not weird. This is what we do in the spirit. Talk to yourself at 12. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. You didn't ask for that to happen to you. I'm sorry that it ha you didn't know. You didn't know what was going to happen in the basement. You didn't know what was going to happen at band camp. You didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know that you were going to walk into the room and what was on the computer screen was going to be there. You didn't ask for this is what you got. Come on, get free. I forgive you. Now, release yourself. Release yourself. Begin to release. I release you from the addiction to pornography. Come on, AWC. This is it. This is the ministry right here. I you might need to hold hands with your significant other. We release our marriage from the word curses that we spoke over ourselves. Every time that we said it wasn't going to work, every single time I said I should have married my high school sweetheart, I, cur I cursed the curse that I put on myself. Talk to your business. Every time I said that nobody's gonna want to buy my product, ain't you, you, you put your, your product at $100, who gonna pay $100 for your product? Nobody said that they wouldn't, but they're not because you said it. Come on, I break the curse. I break the curse, I release myself. Now speak the words that you need over your life. Go for it. I am the blessed of the Lord. Everything that I touch. Come on, AWC. I need to hear you. God needs to hear you. And you need to hear you. I am the blessed of the Lord. Everything that I touch turns to gold. My marriage will not die. It will work. God, I pray for my wife right now in Jesus' name. God, that she is beautifully and wonderfully made. God, give her strategy. Give her the ability to discern. God, I thank you for my husband. May he be a leader. May he be strong. Come on, AWC. God, I thank you for my children. Any word I've ever spoken over anything in my life where it's not working, I come against it in Jesus' name. I am not a failure. I'm just trying. I'm not a failure. I'm just practicing. I haven't failed yet. I'm just moving towards my purpose and moving towards my future. Really quick, this might be weird, but begin to profess that you're free. Just open up your mind. Say, I'm free. Come on. I'm free. You're free today. Talk to you. Joshua, you're free today. You're free from, from self-guilt. You're free from self-loathing. Joshua, this is the last day that you feel sorry for yourself. This is the last day you feel sorry for yourself. This is the last day that you ask somebody else to do what you don't have the faith. I'm Joshua, I believe in you. Joshua, I trust myself in you. Joshua, you bad all by yourself. Nobody can do what you do like you. Joshua, you're the baddest person that you know. Who's smarter than you, Joshua? Nobody. God loves you so much. Come on, talk to yourself. I'm the smartest person I know. God, God loves you, Joshua, so much that he gave you purpose. You don't need no help. Everything that you need is on the inside of you. AWC, I would pray that what you just did in the last five minutes will not become weird, but that it would actually become a part of your routine. When you walk into work tomorrow, when I t is this helping any? I only need two people. Is this helping anyone? Okay, all right. When you walk into your office tomorrow, those same words, you need to speak those words in every setting where you said them. If you said words like that while you were laying in your bedroom, you better not get into that bed until you destroy all those word curses. You should walk into your room. Every word that I've said about myself in the car, 
I destroy it. I strike it down. Every single word I said about myself while I was using the restroom before I went to work, everywhere. Because your words are what going to set you free. AWC, this sermon series is built for you to realize how powerful you are. For you to realize that when you walk into your marriage, when you walk into your financial situation, that you don't need me to put my hands on you, you can always do this. Before you go and sign for the house, God, you know I can't afford this house. Before you walk into going into surgery, Lord, I don't even need, I still have the faith that you can heal my body before I even go into surgery. As you're arguing with your spouse, Vanessa, I can't, God, I love my wife even though I don't like her right now. And she says the same thing to me. Somebody say, I am the most powerful person in my life. Now believe it. 